welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Welcome to another episode of Vice and Easy, and we have a fun one this week. We're going to be breaking down season one, episode eight, entitled The Great McCarthy. Now, I'm going to give you the synopsis that IMDb gives me, and it is... I think you could have touched on the really scandalous topic of this episode, but this is what they say. Crockett and Tubbs get involved in the world of offshore powerboat racing and drug smuggling. Now, if you're driving with your kids, there is a little bit of raciness in the episode, obviously, because it was network TV in 1984. It doesn't get too racy, but uh, the subject I'm going to delve into is a little bit racy. So just in case you have kids in the car or parents in the car, just FYI, not so much a warning, just you know what's coming ahead. This is a great episode. I had a lot of fun, especially from the downer that was last week. And then this week where I locked my car door on my thumb and I guess I have six months to wait until my nails falls off. Hopefully it's a little sooner. I'm also kind of trying to organize my work schedule around my nail falling off because every shift for the next six months, I have to have it completely covered, bandaged up and protected because it hurts. So it's been it's been a rough week. So I'm very excited to delve into this episode. Someone gave it a two out of ten on IMDb and I think they thought it was a little frivolous. And I'm like, this show isn't always serious. Like it is, you're supposed to have fun and people are tuning in to see powerboats and great outfits and amazing house parties. So if you like what I'm talking about, let's get into the great McCarthy. Opening scene, we open up on a bank that has just been robbed. Crockett and Tubbs pull up in the Ferrari. I took a little gif of them hopping out of the car because you know how in Vice City, if you got over three stars, Crockett and Tubbs would hop out. And I I have a feeling this is where they got it from. So great scene, great scene. I just want you to check that out in the gallery, the gif of them jumping out of the car. Um, So they actually don't go into that bank. They go into another big building that the assailant has escaped to. It's completely abandoned. You can see that it connects to the Miami Metro Rail. Um, It's actually a government building in downtown Miami, the William S. something. I'm sorry. It was up on my computer and then I didn't write it down. I do apologize. Uh, It's a government building. So they kind of search around for a bit, talking. They notice a piece of metal covering a hole by the escalator knock on it, pull it up. Who do they meet? Not just Trini DeSoto from the pilot. He's back, but in a different form. His name is Izzy Moreno. He is covered, as you can see, definitely go check it on the gallery, covered in the the dye that they put in bags of money so that the assailant gets pinpointed. They can't use the money anymore. So he's covered in this like rust colored dye and take him in, tries to make all this these excuses and he's really scared because he's coming up on his fourth strike. So this is when he starts to turn on the waterworks. Clip number one. I didn't want to do that lousy job. I made a mistake. Hello, perfect. First time I heard him tell the truth. Crockett has a lot of great one-liners this episode. I like this. They, I think they totally realized how dark it was last episode. They're like, let's just give the people what they want. Um, so Izzy starts naming names. Basically, as Castillo says, everybody that he's known since the sixth grade. One of them, however, is actually important. Lewis McCarthy. The other guys were all like little small fries. They didn't really care about. But this guy is already known 
to the bureau, sorry, to the vice squad. I know it's called Organized Crime Bureau, but I just like saying the vice squad because that's how I consider them. So as they leave, they're both dressed in different shades of blue. Definitely go check it on the gallery. Beautiful. And Crockett is in like a dark royal blue. Tubbs is in a sky blue. Really, really enjoying the color palette. I really would love to talk to the costume designer and the stylist if they're still alive. I would love to pick their brain. And the next scene, now it's time to actually meet Lewis McCarthy. Crockett is having the time of his life. So in real life, Don Johnson actually raced cigarette boats. That was his hobby. I believe Melanie Griffith made him give that up. I want to say when Dakota was born, which was like 1989. So like around the end of the run of Miami Vice. But you know, he loves doing this in real life because he looks so happy. I took a picture. It's the first one of my Faye Five. Spoiler alert. He looks so happy. You can just tell he is at one with the water. And Tubbs being like me tends to get seasick. So Philip Michael Thomas is going to sit this one out. But he's going to use this opportunity to try to sweet talk McCarthy. So sorry, but it's a closed race. No ringers. I'm surprised. I heard you were a sporting man. Where did you hear that? guy named Wilson in Philly, the mole in Westchester. They must have been talking about my daddy. He was a sporting man. I'm a businessman. Uh-huh. So am I. So a few notes on that. The song playing in the background is actually named after yours truly, your host. That is Marina by Jan Hammer. And number two, isn't Westchester a suburb of Philadelphia? So the mole of Westchester, is it... I, I'm just trying to play the dots if you know he's this sporting man, thereby I'm assuming illegal betting on sporting to be based out of a suburb. Maybe he's from there originally, but I digress. And so the conversation continues. So while he's not letting Tubbs or sorry, Richard Taylor and Sonny Burnett enter the race, he says that they can come watch the race. And Tubbs also recognizes one of his henchmen. There are two henchmen with him. One, I thought was hilarious. McCarthy makes this guy stand up to offer Tubbs the chair, as opposed to Tubbs just bringing over the chair to the table, which I thought was a little... By being polite to someone, you're being rude to someone else. So just for like me as a Canadian that just cannot compute. But yeah, I thought that was... This is very, maybe that's just how he feels about this person. But the other person, his name is Gifford. Crockett and Tubbs know him. He's an informant. So the next scene, they decide to go pay a visit to his office. And they are having a lot of fun messing with him. This office, by the way, is, I want to say, I think I remember I graded on the gallery. I think it was an 8 out of 10 cocaine palace. Because it has a lot of potential. You got glass blocks. You got pink. You got some like really cool structural furniture just because he's a little bit more black and gold in my opinion. But amazing office, amazing outfits. Um, So they're kind of going through the books and Tubbs is basically kind of lamenting the fact that McCarthy spends in a month what he makes in a year. I want to even say it says that he spent in a week what he made in a year. I didn't exactly write that quote down, but either way, pretty, pretty discouraging stuff. And they're also asking, hey, like, why do you never give McCarthy up? And Gifford's reasoning is that McCarthy never looked dirty, that his money never looked dirty, his books never looked cooked. And then they take a little bit of a closer look and they discover something new. What is this at? That, uh, that's... 
<laughs> Gif, you're skimming from Louis McCarthy. I am not. That's not for me. That's for Vanessa. Who? That's McCarthy's uh, girlfriend. She runs the store for him. That's her account. Ooh, I for one am very excited to go to the store with Crockett Tubbs to meet Vanessa. This store is amazing. It's two floors, mirrored walls. I think it's a mirrored ceiling, tons of light. I think I gave it a 10 out of 10 on the Cocaine Palace score because you cannot top this. So when Tubbs and Crockett come in, obviously he introduces himself as Richard Taylor and therefore Crockett is now Sonny Burnett. And she tells her assistant to go find him the finest cashmeres. And in my head, I'm like, wait, is this Miami? This was filmed obviously in the summertime in Miami, maybe the spring. So like, how often do you get to comfortably wear cashmere in Miami? Because even at night, it's humid. So I understand cashmere is lovely and I loved it in Toronto. I think I have two cashmere sweaters here that I moved with me to Los Angeles and I wear them twice a year, (laughs) twice a year max. And LA gets cold. It gets cold in the winter. It's a dry cold. We'll talk aside. Let's get to the clip. So here is where Tubbs explains a little bit of his backstory. Follow me. We'll fix you right up. Do I detect an accent? I'm from a little place north of here. You may have heard of it, Manhattan. Is that near the Hamptons? Okay, so the background music you hear is Jan Homer's Tubbs' theme. And Crockett's theme is so iconic. And Tubbs' theme just doesn't seem like it had the same amount of love put into it because this is exactly what I thought of when I heard it. Now that is Animal Crossing's New Hor- Animal Crossing New Horizons 9 a.m. like song because every hour has a different song. That's what it reminded me of. And I know it's not exactly like beat for beat, but it just kind of, yeah, it just seemed like Animal Crossing music. And it gets weirder once it gets a little racier. It's just weird having this music kind of juxtaposed with these ridiculously over the top lovemaking scenes, which we will get to later. Hold on. Hold on. We're not there yet. So... Tubbs is giving, also giving her a full court press. I want to take you out. She says no. She said lunch is impossible, which that is not that I have enough people inviting me out and that many friends, but like imagine just saying that straight up. Lunch is impossible. She says no to dinner, but however, she does invite him to brunch. Also, she invites Crockett. Crockett would love to go. And you can see Tubbs is kind of like throwing daggers at him. Despite what Tubbs wants, Crockett is going to crash this brunch. So it's McCarthy, Vanessa, Crockett, and Tubbs. And this brunch scene is so awkward because Tubbs and Vanessa are flirting the entire time across the table from Lewis McCarthy. And Crockett is also very weirded out by this. So once again... As Tubbs and Vanessa are walking, Crockett takes his time to settle up to Lewis McCarthy, once again asks him to join the race. Again, McCarthy says no, but invites him to the party the next day. However, Tubbs is also a little bit 
curious as to what's going on. He asks her straight up what her intentions are. I mean, you digging on me and him, getting off on it? Is this what turns you on? Sometimes. And now to make things even more awkward, McCarthy has invited Crockett and Tubbs to a party. Before this, they talked to Castillo, kind of, you know, say that they need a $25 ante, blah, blah, blah. Castillo basically tells them, get racing, get on that boat. So they're at this party. They're going to work their charm again. I am not going to, I'm going to try to not talk about the party for like 25 minutes, but this is everything I love about the 80s. It is the insane decor. Again, this is on the gallery. You can go right now, viceandeasypodcast.com. Check out the gallery. You can click it on the description on your Spotify, Apple, whatever. You need to see these pictures. It is not only the house, it is the bar, which is, it's kind of like a seashell wave. It's all white with a white background. It is the band. The band is, I think it's about six or seven guys dressed up in different outfits. A couple of them have sequins. They're dancing along. So when they get to the party, the band is playing. Some guys have all the luck by Rod Stewart. And be warned, this clip is a little bit loud. I've tried to love it, but it's a little bit loud. Guys have all the luck. Some guys have all the pain. Some guys get all the breaks. Some guys do nothing but complain. <laughs> As I'm looking over my notes, I realized I was so excited to talk about the party, I totally skipped the scene before. So, sorry, backtracking a little bit. The scene before the party, Crockett and Tubbs are on McCarthy's boat, trying to look for, like, compartments, spaces within the hall where they can store drugs, but that boat is completely clean. So, back to the party. So, Crockett looks really nice. He's in, like, a lime undershirt with, like, a black silk or satin lapel blazer very handsome. Tubbs is a little bit more informal. He's wearing like a white and black print shirt, obviously unbuttoned because it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be Philip Michael Thomas if we're buttoned all the way. And then Vanessa's outfit. She is in a yellow chartreuse top. So chartreuse is kind of like a little bit of like neon green in the yellow. So it's a very bright color on her with this silver scarf, if I can say that correctly. Like it's kind of like a little like jacket or, um, Bolero with these silver pants and she looks amazing. Again, you can see all those pictures on the gallery. I'm just going to talk about how amazing everybody looked. So as Crockett and Tubbs are making small talk with Vanessa, a couple walks by and I took a picture because it looks like a little bit like Billy Zapka, who is Johnny Lawrence from Karate Kid and Cobra Kai, a little bit like him when he was younger with a girl. And I was like, oh, so I put that on the gallery as well. So they're kind of talking to Vanessa and then Gifford comes. Gifford is not in a good mood. He asked Vanessa to dance and you can see once he takes her onto the dance floor, he's kind of handling her a little bit rough. And he says, we need to talk in like a very terse tone. So I kind of, you know, got a feeling that this wasn't going to be a great conversation because basically he just kind of got revealed that he's cooking the books for her. So he's not in a good mind space. But Crockett wanders off. He sees our boy Izzy Moreno, who is failing to light a beautiful woman's, I think it's like a little cigarillo. It's not like a big cigar. It's like a little like tall Virginia slim cigar, basically. And they are standing in front of what looks to be like $300 worth of seafood. I'm just seeing large shrimp and lobster tail. So this is a very, very, very bougie party because even Vanessa says that 
were these parties always so grand and opulent? Or I think Tubbs asked her, were these parties always so grand and opulent? She says, yeah, you know, he's now cut down to one band. Because, yeah, this was like before you could just put Spotify on. Like you'd either have to if you had a CD player, if you were very rich, again, you probably didn't have a shuffle function or you didn't have a way, you know, you didn't have like the six CD changers that you could just put on random like at house parties and needed to kind of fade the songs in and out. So they had to have a DJ or a band. And I would personally like to bring live bands back. Like if I were either to get married or have like this grand opulent birthday party, I would love to have a band like on this episode. I know they're super cheesy, but I think it's just a really fun atmosphere and DJs are great DJs can really set the mood but I think it'd be so different to have like a live band so that is what I'm taking away from this episode (laughs) and then still at the party we haven't left yet Crockett and Tubbs walk in to the the, one of the living rooms where McCarthy is playing pool Uh, it's a high stakes enterprise and so Crockett again, he's still trying to get in this race. So he decides to raid this, raise the stakes. He offers McCarthy his Ferrari if he loses. In return, if he wins, he can compete in the race tomorrow. So it's a very big game. We see Crockett chucking up his hands with baby powder, which I have not seen in like a very long time. I've never been to a pool hall where they have baby powder readily available. (laughs) Again, like I played a lot when I was younger, but like I was never a pool shark. But yeah, chalking your hands like that, once I saw that, I was like, oof, McCarthy, McCarthy just goofed on that one. And the soundtrack or the song to this scene is actually really cool. It's Go Insane by Lindsay Buckingham. And so, surprise, surprise, Crockett wins. Therefore, they're racing tomorrow. Tubbs and Vanessa, during the whole pool match, match? I hope I'm, hope that's the proper descriptor, pool game. No, it's like one match. Okay, pool match. They're kind of like snuggling on each other. And again, McCarthy is watching. It's not like McCarthy is oblivious. It's not like it's in another room or they're behind a barrier. Like they're, they're flaunting it in his face. So Tubbs makes a little joke about his youth and uh, what Crockett used to get into. (laughs) And Crockett's like, ah, you know, I used to win a free lunch every now and then. And this is also where it's like, wow, Crockett's backstory, like he just seems like the coolest guy in the world. And I just wonder, like, everything that led him to this moment. Like, he just seems like this really cool, like, badass Southern boy. Like, complete undercover pool shark. Just very cool guy all around. Crockett always has, you know, a new trick up his sleeve. And so, since the sexual tension is increasing more and more, Tubbs asks Vanessa to go dance. And when I first watched this episode, I have not seen it in a couple years, before I watched it again um, last year, I screamed because Self-Control by Laura Branigan was my number one song played on Spotify last year because I always play it when I'm, like, in the bathtub or just chilling. It's just such a beautiful, like... And I can't even describe it. Like it's, um, it kind of fits me for every mood. It always makes me happy. She has a beautiful voice. Rest in peace, Laura Branigan. I know this song is actually a cover. She didn't write it, but she kills this song. So the band's playing this when they start to dance. I can't even. Wine, 
And the different vocal ranges on these guys in the band. You had the first guy who had like a very kind of a little deeper, rougher voice. And then you have this guy with this like beautiful falsetto doing self-control by Laura Branigan. I don't remember who originally wrote it. I'm sorry. They're they're not Laura Branigan. So kind of just already brushed it off. So they're making out on the dance floor. And I took a gif of McCarthy watching through the open blinds. And he kind of just puts his hand up on his chin like he's pondering. I think he likes this. I think it's a cuckolding situation and that he's into it. And this just made me think of Deepwater. Deepwater is the movie that was just released on Hulu a couple weeks ago with Anna de Armas and Ben Affleck. And because this was the movie that they got together and because I followed them so closely, me and my friend followed them so closely during COVID, I was dying for this movie. I was like, oh my God, it's going to be like the hottest movie ever. And it was really boring and really weird. And there's so many plot points from this movie that are from this episode, not from, but like that parallel each other. I highly doubt Sam Levinson was watching old Miami Vice episodes to, you know, adapt a book that had been written 70 years ago in the 1950s. So I never read the book. I don't know what the plot's about, but this has very big Deepwater vibes where I think McCarthy is in on it. He's fine with her cheating and in public, in front of their friends. I think he gets off on it. That's that's my take on it, we shall see. And then the confrontation isn't exactly what you think it would be. Trying to get over with my woman? Maybe. Oh, I could, well, I could never, cause I would never. But yeah, if someone approached me and said that, that I was macking on their partner, in their house and I'm about to race them tomorrow, I would just leave and never come back. I would be so embarrassed. I would feel so rude. But maybe it's like a weird alpha male thing that they have going on where like not only is Tubbs going to try to beat him in the boat race, him and Crockett, but now he's going to steal his woman too. However, so this interrogation ends because there's this like blood curdling scream. And I mean, it's very blood curdling. I had to watch this episode three times and every time it just made me wince. It wasn't like a scary scream. It was just an annoying scream. They just picked someone with like the highest pitch and like the most nasally. (laughs) and just got her to scream because, oh, I can't. So they all run out to the water and Gifford's body is pulled out of the water and he is dead. Again, this is very much like deep water, and I cannot stress this enough. This is so weird. <laughs> All my notes are like, this is deep water, this is deep water. But however, McCarthy was not present at the time. McCarthy was talking to Tubbs, so there's his alibi. And before I finally say goodbye to the party scene that I've actually not talked that much about in the grand scheme of things, I thought I would go for 30 minutes. So Izzy also came up to Crockett while Crockett was just in the corner chilling. And comes up behind him. He's like, hey man, I got to talk to you. I got to talk to you. Crockett just shoes him away. I don't know you. Get away. I'm not talking to you. Not here. So keep that in mind. Next scene. Unfortunately, yes, I know we're back at the precinct, not the party. Unfortunately, the party cannot go on forever. So back at the precinct, Crockett and Tubbs are talking about Gifford. And Crockett has a very funny hypothesis as to who would want him dead. To get himself killed. He was a snitch and a thief. And he went to Yale. So basically, Crockett thinks that Gifford and Vanessa were hooking up because why else would he cook the books? Why else would he risk his relationship with McCarthy if not for his woman? However, once kind of once Tubbs kind of pushes back on that idea, Crockett calls him out on it in this next clip. Vanessa and Gifford, 
No way. You must be crazy. Come on, man. How do you think she got Gifford to fatten her private bank account? By saying pretty please? Maybe. Getting twisted by this lady, Tubbs? Hey, man. You got any other way of seeing things except cynical? I just call him the way I see him, pal. Sonny Crockett, voice of reason. And that door you heard in the background was Castillo's office. So Crockett and Tubbs are in to talk to Castillo. Castillo tells them that Gifford was shot in the back of the head with a single bullet, a Beretta gun. I immediately think of Robert Blake and Beretta and having his wife shot. <laughs> but I hear Beretta. I know it's a type of gun and I know that's probably what the show was named after, but that is the first thing I think about. This is someone who grew up on the tabloids. So... Castillo then asks if their cover is okay. You know, has anything been blown? And Crockett says that McCarthy is expecting them in the race. But the money is going to be a tougher issue because... Downtown doesn't have enough confidence in your racing ability, Sonny. That hurts. (laughs) Oh, my God. I just love that. Like, Don Johnson has great comedic timing and... I think now he's kind of getting to play into that. Like, I know he's on Keenan as, I think it's the grandfather. But, like, he was really funny in Eastbound and Down. Like, he's just a funny guy. Great comedic timing. So I thought that was great, especially because, like, you could tell that he knows how to race. And, like, that's just so offensive on another level. But Castillo has an idea. So downtown doesn't want to give them the money for the race. But Trudy and Gina are busting a college professor who's moonlighting as a cocaine dealer. So therefore, they're going to have some good faith money. They're going to have some deal money on them. So Crockett and Tubbs decide to go pay them a visit. So next scene, they cut to the hotel. Beautiful hotel. It's actually the Ritz-Carlton on Biscayne. and still there to this day. I'm sure just a little less pastel but, you know, a little bit more updated. So I have a great shot of Gina putting the gun under um, underneath her dress with like kind of like a little garter. And she and Trudy are getting ready and they hear a knock at the door and they're very taken aback because they're waiting for this deal to go down. Guess who shows up? Sonny Crockett with two drinks, just want to come in and check in on the ladies. They shoo him away. They're like, get out of here. This is our deal. You're going to ruin it. So they shoo him away. So Crockett goes to talk at the bar with Tubbs and Zwitek. And there is this beautiful woman in this like very tiny bikini that has like little fake feathers coming out of it, which I took a picture of. I love that. So basically, they're all stationed. Tubbs is basically acting as a cocktail server. Zwitek, again, behind the bar. And then Zito is acting as a lifeguard. And this is what Crockett thinks about that. Where's Zito? I haven't seen him yet. He told Castillo he could swim. Oh, man, we should never put him on the beach. He could blind someone. And he's a little distracted. He's talking to this very beautiful girl who looks very familiar. So I was trying to look up famous models kind of around that era. But again, if she would have been 20 in 1980, so it's not Victoria Sveltzfeldt, who I thought it was at first. Beautiful girl, whoever he's talking to. I also understand why he's getting distracted. So finally, the prof comes through the sliding door, through the patio door. And oh my God, this is some how do you do, fellow kids? dialogue right here if I've ever heard it. Stuff here is guaranteed to keep your tamale wagon. I'm going to make it a requirement of my Philosophy 101 class. Ooh, that's better than Sart. Hey, pump some of that into you and you know the true meaning of being and nothingness. Oh, you two girls aren't going to have any problem passing my class this semester. 
Oh my God, it's so cringy. <laughs> so obviously they bust him. He decides to pull a fast one and tries to run out of the hotel room. So obviously everybody takes chase. I got a really good gif of everybody kind of chasing and kind of like bumbling after him because Zito obviously is acting as a lifeguard. So he doesn't have any shoes on. He only has flip-flops. So they finally, Gina and Trudy finally take him down. Gina takes him down. They take him off. Crockett goes up to Gina, sweet talks her, and basically says, you know, we need this good faith money. And Gina kind of protests a little bit. She's like, you know, my ne- my salary for the next 10 years depends on it. Like, this isn't just, you know, a couple hundred dollars. Like, this is a big amount of money. If this is really $25,000 in 1984, that is a lot of money. So luckily, he's able to charm her. He says he'll have it back in a few hours, even though the race is the next day. I don't really know what this timeline is. But there's a reason why he's so confident that he's going to win. So he's talking to Tubbs that he got a guy to add a turbo charge to his boat to get more knots or nautical miles, if you will. Then. <laughs> oh, my God. So it's that same Animal Crossing song. They close up. Oh, my God. Oh, OK. <laughs> They close up on Tubbs and Vanessa, both kind of sitting upright, making out in this bed. And as the camera pulls back and the frame, oh my God, the bed frame, it's kind of like a palm tree with the palm leaves touching in the middle, like a little heart. I, I can't describe it to you. Please go to the website. Please check out the gallery right now. If you're driving, please do it as soon as you park because you need a laugh and you will get that laugh today. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's move on. The next day is the race. It's a big day. Everyone's really excited. McCarthy's team is all in black. Crockett's all in orange. So as I was doing some research for this episode, there is a red boat. And remember, there's no earth tones, no red allowed on Miami Vice. But because they didn't really have Beggars can't be choosers. They didn't have these boats themselves. They had to borrow these boats. They had to source and procure these boats. So they kind of had to make do with what they had. There's a boat called Blackjack, which I noticed. Then there's McCarthy's boat, which seems bigger than all the other boats. So I don't really think it's that fair. But then I guess size doesn't really help you with speed on the walk. Again, this is... I'm not that much of a Canadian. I used to go in like the little fishing boats that like didn't really have that much speed to them. You know, I've never been on like a cigarette boat or anything. I would throw up. So (laughs) good for whoever is driving that cigarette boat. I will not be joining you. One day I would love to. One day I will take like five things of Dramamine and just pass out and wake me up when we get there. (laughs) But let's get to the race. So they're off in the background is Born to be Wild by Steppenwolf, a Canadian band. Very impressed by that. Vanessa also looks amazing. She's in kind of like a burnt yellow, like a burnt orange yellowy dress with this beautiful necklace and this beautiful straw hat. I love Vanessa's wardrobe in this entire episode. Maybe hard to believe, but she is a model. (laughs) It's hard to believe that this beautiful, tall, stunning, picturesque woman is a model. But yes, very much so. So during the race, and it's a pretty long race, so they're going to Bimini and back. So I I did the research on this. Miami to Bimini is 51 miles or 44 nautical miles. So round trip would be 102 miles or 88 nautical miles round trip. So it's not super long and you're going in high high powered speed. There is a ferry apparently that connects from Miami to Bimini. So I was trying to figure out how long it takes. But obviously a ferry is not going at high speeds with hundreds of people on board of this boat. So 
As they're racing, they notice something iffy. They notice McCarthy kind of veering off. Like, why would he lose his own race? So again, so this boat goes off the path. However, Crockett notices that something fishy is going on. He's not there because he's there. He didn't pass us. How the hell did he get out front? Two boats, two identical boats, two number sixes. Dolphins in that one! Gotta be! And Lewis himself, McCarthy, is driving! Then somebody else was driving that boat on the way out! They're yelling. They have little microphones in their helmet, which I think is really cool. So I guess they can hear each other, which makes sense. You know, when you're directing or if you're about to hit like a bump or something, you need to talk to people. And it's so loud. I can imagine they probably can't hear anything. So now that they kind of they know his game, they know what he's up to. So they're finally able to pin it because remember, they couldn't find anywhere on his boat where he could put the drugs. So therefore, it's a decoy. So they finally figured it out. So at the end, it's a very tight race too. Like they're like neck and neck at the end. Crockett turns on that turbo, powers through the finish line and they end up winning. So as they're celebrating, shaking hands, Castillo was there to put McCarthy in custody. And I took a gift of just Castillo's stone cold face. McCarthy just like frantically looking around and trying to jump in his boat. And then obviously the Coast Guard surrounding them. Like, where'd you think you were going to (laughs) go? Like, you don't think they planned ahead? Like, this is Miami. You don't think they have, like, a boat waiting for you at a boat race? Like, (laughs) very funny. All right, so he's arrested. He got caught. Now, Vanessa and Tubbs are celebrating. Tubbs mentions that she had two gauntlets, so she was expecting him. So that's also kind of weird. You're, I guess you... I don't know what the basis of this relationship is. I wish they went a little bit more into the cuckolding, but unfortunately, this is all I can gather from the situation. <laughs> it's just my own analysis and what I know from the movie Deepwater. <laughs> so this is her apartment. It's actually a house, but like this is wild. And the purple walls and then I, I, I can't with this, but they look beautiful. They look beautiful. And so as they're celebrating... Crockett and Gina are also celebrating. They're kind of laying on the boat. Elvis is also relaxing on the boat. Guess who pops by for a visit? Remember when Izzy said he wanted to talk to Crockett at the party and Crockett shoot him away? Well, turns out he had something really important to tell him. Izzy has a gun and not just any gun with him. He has the Beretta that was used to kill Gifford. He saw Vanessa and Gifford fighting and that they were arguing that she was saying that she didn't want to see him anymore. He threatened to go to McCarthy and tell him what was going on. Izzy says he didn't see the rest, but that she shot him. So Crockett and Gina in the middle of the night have to make their way over to Vanessa's house. Tubbs comes out. I don't know how he heard because I don't know if he has a cell phone. It has not yet been established or a pager. But wouldn't Vanessa also kind of find that suspicious? So basically he exits her house meets them on the driveway and Tubbs asks, hey, where are we going? And Crockett has to break the news to him. Beretta, left hand twist, two rounds fired. It's the gun that killed Gifford. Just got confirmation from the lab. He found it last night at the party. Fragments of palm and thumbprints. Says it's Vanessa's. Where is she? Upstairs?
I'll do it. So Tubbs turns around, heads back towards the door, knocks on the door. Vanessa, obviously being a little bit curious as to why the guy who was just inside her house five minutes ago is now knocking on the door, comes out and, and explains. He explains that they have the murder weapon, that they know she did it. And then he finally comes clean as to who he really is. I'm a cop. I've got to take you in. You can't do it. Yes, I can. I've got to. That dialogue is so stilted. Maybe it's for effect, but yeah, it just kind of took me out of the moment. But then I like the little like ding at the end. And then that's the episode. Tubbs was trying to play McCarthy and ended up kind of playing himself. So again, this is not the first time that other Crocodile Tubbs has fallen in love with a, what's the proper term? Not, I want to say murderous woman, but basically a, uh, a dangerous woman. This is a theme that comes up a lot within the entire series. So buckle in. We're only on episode eight of season one. There are five seasons. This was back in the day, kids. So television scenes didn't just have 10 or 12 episodes and then go on hiatus for two years and come back. Like these people were at it. Every show had at least 20 to 25 episodes. If they were kind of like a little bit more soapy, they'd have 32 <laughs> Imagine that, 32 episodes a season. Well, speaking of episodes, let's break down this episode. Let's go through all my favorite things, all the favorite things. First, let's get to best dressed. My vote, Vanessa in chartreuse and silver. It's silver pants at the party. Crockett and Tubbs in various shades of blue. And of course, since last week, the winner of best dress was not a main cast member. I did not want to do that again. But the band at McCarthy's party is honorary best dressed mention. I really like the guy in the sequin purple vest who spins. I put a gift of that on the gallery. He spins around and he's just grooving. He's my he's my honorary best dress, but again, I'm gonna go with Crockett and Tubbs in blue and then Vanessa in chartreuse and silver. So lots of good colors this episode. Best line, best one-liner. Crockett had so many. The Yale one, however, my favorite. That hurts. <laughs> Great comedic timing again. Don Johnson, underrated comedic actor. So let's get to the fun one. I really, I don't want to have the audio of someone snorting lines, but I want to do like a cocaine palace rating. I've mentioned this before. There is a cocaine decor Twitter account. They basically go through the history of different interior designers and they post a lot of really fun in my case, aspirational pictures of interior design from like the 70s and 80s. So definitely give them a follow. That's my little shout out. But let's rate the men's store with the mirrored walls. I think mirrored ceilings as well. Everything about it. I'm going to give that a 9 out of 10. McCarthy's house, solid 10 out of 10 just for the bar alone. Vanessa's bedroom. <laughs> With the purple walls, it looks like it's, um, what are those called? Those little holes on ships behind her bed. And then it's the palm leaves touching each other on the bed frame. 10 out of 10. There's no way you could get around with this in the 90s and the 2000s. If it's a waterbed, it gets like an 11 or 12 out of 10. I, I can't get over this. <laughs> I also wonder if the bedroom was a set that they built. <laughs> oh, 
my god, I cannot. I'm so obsessed with this episode. It just, it's exactly what I need this week. This week was garbage. And, you know, this, I'm so happy I got to do this, you know. Sometimes it's a little bit of a pain in the butt doing all the media and like sourcing all the clips, but this was so much fun. All right, now let's get to the music. There were a lot of great songs this episode. I'm going to give you my order and I'm super biased. Obviously, number one is going to be Self-Control by Laura Branigan. And I look this up because it's a live band playing her song on a TV show. So remember in the pilot, there was a live band playing Only in Miami is Cuba So Far Away by Bette Midler. And they were also playing All Night Long by Lionel Richie. So it turns out when you're licensing something to play on um, TV or a movie, licensing fees are paid in two different ways. The first is to the songwriter and it goes to the publishing company. The second is paid to use the actual recording and it goes to a record company. So maybe with songs that were a little bit more popular at the time or a little bit more expensive, they could have the live band playing it because they're already paying the songwriters, but they don't have to pay the record company because they're not using the actual recording. I am not verified on this. I did a lot of research into this because I very much am not, I don't know, how do I say this properly? I'm so intrigued by licensing copyright issue, especially CanCon. Growing up in Canada, I'll talk about this a little bit more with Steppingwolf. So radio stations have to play a certain percentage of music by Canadian artists during prime time. It also spills over to TV and movies. So they're trying to do that now with streaming where they're trying to get more Canadian content because without it, our media would totally be saturated from the American side. So it is a good and bad thing. A lot of people do complain that really crappy musicians just get overplayed because of CanCon because a lot of times radio stations, especially top 40, they don't have a lot to choose from. So they'll just play like the if like the same eight songs over and over again. But it really is crucial to the Canadian music industry to keep CanCon alive. And there's a lot of scandals. So the big one is that Brian Adams wasn't able to be CanCon certified because he wrote a song and recorded it in England and he wrote it with Mutt Lang, who is South African. So because so they had to change the laws a little bit because I think he fought it. So now the it used to be you have to record it in Canada. It had to be written by Canadians, produced by Canadians. It's M-A-P-L. So it has to be music, artist, um, publishing and lyrics, maybe producing. So if all four of those are Canadian, you are like number one CanCon, CanCon song all the time. But the more you lose those quadrants, the the lesser song is going to get into rotation. So that was my CanCon minute that nobody asked for. So I love you, Laura Brightigan. Rest in peace. She's not Canadian. She is British. So number two, I picked Born to be Wild by Steppenwolf because of CanCon. And um, that is actually the song that they hypothesized the phrase heavy metal came from. When they say heavy metal thunder in the song, it was kind of the first instance of heavy metal relating to music. So... Did Canadians invent heavy metal? Who knows? So I also love Some Guys Have All the Luck. That was my number three. Uh, the singer, you know what? I'm not judging. I, I love karaoke and I'm not the greatest singer either. I think he brought emotion to the song. Um, I'm also feeling they did that live because they couldn't afford to pay Rod Stewart. <laughs> 
Number four was Go Insane by Lindsay Buckingham. So handsome back then. Still very handsome, but so handsome. When they were playing pool, I just like thought it was like very thematically relevant. I really liked that. Um, Marina by Jan Hammer. That's what was playing when Tubbs was trying to sweet talk McCarthy that first scene. I don't want to vote Tubbs' theme last, but obviously here we are. I think it's kind of a shame that Crockett's theme is so iconic. Crockett's theme is my ringtone. My ringtone since grade 10 has been Miami Vice theme by Jan Hammer. Crockett's theme by Jan Hammer. Bad by Michael Jackson. And there was one more. I forgot what the other one was. Um, oh my God, I used to have them like on my desktop back in the day. It took me like two hours to custom make your ringtone if there were songs that weren't available on the Apple store or if you're European, songs that you could not text to buy. Because I think I had either, oh no, I had a polyphonic ringtone of Ain't Nothing But A G Thing in grade 10 before the Miami Vice theme song. Then I think when I was in Europe, I knew not to buy the ringtones because I think people warned me how expensive it was going to be because I was there when I was like 16. They're like, do not. I, I knew not to text anything on European TV. There's no, I don't want pictures of boobs. I don't want ringtones. I don't want wallpaper for my handy. I just want I'd like to get out of this without, you know, being killed by my parents for a thousand dollar phone bill. So back in the day, kids ask your parents about that. And then there was no vice tea for this episode. The woman that played Vanessa, she comes back and plays another one of Tubbs's love interest. But aside from that, no vice tea. My only vice tea, or my little question. So the gentleman that plays McCarthy, he's only 36 when this is shot. He looks much older. <laughs> I know that people aged a lot harsher back in the day just because of smoking and sun exposure, but like, I'm not that far from 36. Do I look that old? <laughs> things that keep me up at night all right well thank you so much for joining me this was a very fun episode next week i think next week is glades so it's also going to be a fun episode uh fun fact a song that played on glades was my number one most played song in 2019 on spotify because i just kept walking around walking around rocking around with that on so that'll be fun we'll discuss that more next week again you can follow everything for the podcast at vice and easy podcast on all the socials and by all the socials i mean you can find me on youtube you can find me on tiktok and you can find me on instagram thank you again for listening i'll see you next week and don't forget hey man miami wise is number one your show